When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, right now, let's turn our attention uh, to what is going on in the world of politics and indeed uh, getting us out of this lockdown uh, with Business Minister Nadim Sahawi, who joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, uh, we we are I mean, we are going to get back to the issue of, uh, of of what's been going on with statues and the like. But I know that most people right now are more concerned about making sure they've got a job, making sure their kids are in school, and getting our economy back on track. Um, why is it the case uh, right now that we've got almost nine million people on furlough, unemployment of nine percent, and yet we're unable to send the schools back, but we're going to reopen zoos and safari parks? Um, and, and department stores uh, at, at a time when we desperately, desperately, desperately need to get our kids back to school. Why is the government not getting this country back out of lockdown? Well, first of all, we are getting the country back out of lockdown, but deliberately doing it uh, carefully, following the advice. But also, uh, it's worth your listeners remembering that 80% of schools actually remained open uh, delivering for the children of frontline and key workers. Two percent of children for, remained in school. Two percent. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But also, I was the children's minister under Theresa May for the most vulnerable, the children in need. Those schools, eighty percent of schools, remained open. We then uh, deliberately opened the um, early years uh, reception class, uh, year one and year six, and we will uh, middle of the month open uh, schools up for children have got GCSE exams next year and A-level exams next year. Uh, but working with uh, teachers, and they've done a phenomenal job, educationalists. Have uh, they? We, have yes, they? absolutely. absolutely. We, 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 wait a we, second. We, I mean, hundreds of thousands of children in this country aren't getting any education whatsoever. They're well, getting maybe a well, worksheet on a Monday morning. And you're saying well, our teachers have done a wonderful job. Well, because they kept 80% of schools open, and it's right to recognise that, Julia. What Sorry, I'm two, no, to I'm, with all due let, respect, let 2% of children have been going to school through this. You thought it would be 20%. That was the expectation. Um, loads and loads of children aren't getting any education worth speaking of at the current time. Many uh, heads, uh, sorry, uh, teachers' unions trying to stop children going back to school at all. Um, this is, this, if this is what counts as a government success, I'd love to know what a government failure well, would be. No, I, look, these are tough decisions. Uh, and I'm not sitting Are here they? gloating. 
I'm saying, of course they are. Every What's decision tough? is a tough decision. What's tough about I'll getting you children back to I'll school? Children have got a better, you, children have got a higher you. chance of being hit by lightning, the experts say, than they have of, of getting coronavirus and, and having any serious, and, and dying from it, or even just, or even getting you know, infected. Why is this a difficult decision? We need to get the schools back. Because the scientists and the experts say that 15 children are the size that we can go to to be able to safely educate children with uh, social distancing measures. And the worst thing of all worlds is the business minister coming back on your show and having to then re-lock down the country, right, announce another lockdown. That is existential for business. It's much, much better that we do this carefully now that we've got track and trace up and running, now that the infection rates across the country have more than halved that we do this slowly and deliberately. What we're saying is that we, we uh, don't want to compel all primary schools to return every class uh, back uh, for that additional month uh, before the summer holidays. We're saying actually those who can are going to do that using some local facilities, but we're not gonna make, make them do that. Uh, we're saying that children who've got GCSEs next year and A-levels next year will come back and will have that additional support. The most vulnerable families, Gavin Williamson, the Secretary of State for Education, has invested £100 million delivering iPads and laptops to their homes. Some of them have no internet access, getting them internet access as well so they can learn online. Yes, they are tough decisions. I'm not telling you any of this is easy, Julia, but the worst thing of all worlds is for us to go too fast and then having to lock down again because the virus is spiked. Well, We've no, that's that's, that's a big debate, isn't it? It's not a question of whether sometimes you're going too fast. It's if you're going too slowly. People can't get back to work if they've got children at primary school and they can't get childcare and the children aren't at school. Um, and you say the laptops and the iPads. Well, you know, only 100,000 of those have even been delivered. 230,000 were supposed to be delivered. I mean, this is, this is you know, from March to June. I mean, I, I could probably buy that many iPads if I just went online and shopped online. I don't know why the, the countries, uh, you know, the, the government takes so long to buy we are looking at nine million children missing half a year of school we know that many children in this in this country are already two years behind the children they're going to be competing with around the world for jobs children are being let's talk about children being held back a year a second year in which they won't take gcses and a levels because they haven't had enough teaching um this is this is a national emergency not just a health emergency it's a national education emergency and it just feels like i think to a lot of parents who want to send their kids back to school that the government is too scared it's almost like you're standing in, like a rabbit in the headlights, worried about offending people. You know what? If another parent doesn't want to send their kid back to school, fine, don't. I want to send my kid back to school. So not at all, right? I, I'm you know, on your program today to say to you that absolutely education is front and centre, but we have to do it with schools, with head teachers, with educationalists, and do this deliberately. We've brought back early years, we've brought back reception, we've brought back year one and year six. And those children who've got GCSEs next year and A-levels next year are coming back and will get that education. What we want to do is make sure every child has an education, of course, with the focus on the most vulnerable and those uh, that most need it. Hence the £100 million investment. I know you, you, know, you, 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 you don't like uh, us getting 100,000 laptops out and we should do better and get all 230,000 out, which is the, the, the teams working in the Department of Education night and day to deliver on. Uh, but ultimately, the scientists, Julia, quite rightly say that 15 children in a classroom is the safe size. We can't currently compel every primary school to do that, which is why we're saying if you can, and some are doing it already using other local facilities, then you can do that to deliver that additional month before the summer holidays. But ultimately, we want every child 
to be back at school in September. And the way you do that is by controlling the virus, making sure we continue to bear down on the R number. Okay. That track and trace allows right. us to be ahead. Of, track and trace is going to make a huge difference because it allows us to be ahead of the virus. Because yes. if we see it spiking in Wimbledon or in, dare I say, in Stratford and Avon, we'll be able to bear down on it. As we did in, in Western Supermet. Yes, it spiked yes. and, and wouldn't, it be, good, and we wouldn't it be good if we had an app in place that was supposed to be in place a month ago? But let's leave that aside. Let's talk about your area of expertise as business minister. The furlough scheme has now expanded to 8.9 million. We've already got unemployment of 9%. Realistically, how many of those 8.9 million currently being paid by the taxpayer not to work do you expect will hit those uh, dole queues uh, come uh, the autumn when the, the scheme ends? Well, first of all, uh, working with business, the different sectors that I work with, whether it's uh, aviation, aero or auto or the professional services across the board, steel, all the different sectors, what they wanted from the furlough scheme is flexibility. And initially it was going to be introduced in August. The Chancellor quite rightly listened and has brought it forward uh, uh, to July. That additional flexibility actually allows business owners and business leaders to keep more of their workers on board whilst their business begins to pick up again, whilst they you know, reconfigure their workspaces to make sure they can work safely. So that flexibility in every scheme, look, every scheme was designed to wrap our arms around jobs, around the economy in the face of a global pandemic emergency. We review all the schemes because the profile of interventions will be very different as you're asking businesses to ramp up and to reopen as we did last week with car showrooms in the auto sector. So we have to review all of the interventions and then, of course, look at where else can we help in terms of stimulus, fiscal or non-fiscal uh, stimulus, working with industry, including on skills. Uh, uh, the Prime Minister quite rightly identified apprenticeships and an apprenticeship guarantee for young people. All this stuff is work that, that we are delivering. Okay. And I am confident that this country will build back better and will come out of this a more resilient, a greener economy and, of course, much more dynamic than it was before. Okay, uh, let me just ask you uh, about Frankie and Benny's uh, restaurants. Uh, 3,000 jobs going there. We know it's going to be even longer for restaurants, uh, bars and pubs to be able to be reopened with the two-metre rule that's still in existence. Even if we went down to a one-metre rule, which many other countries which have successfully fought the virus have managed, uh, they have been able to get their bars and restaurants back opening. What do you feel about that, Frankie and Benny, cutting 3,000 jobs? So we're working with the restaurant sector uh, we have a, uh, a a task force that is focused solely on reopening restaurants and bars, working with the sector to make sure we get this right. Um, if all goes well, if we continue to bear down on the R number and we see the infection rates continue to go down by the 4th of July, restaurants will be open. The safe distance is still two metres. Uh, that is, I think, the correct thing uh, to do. We obviously review, SAGE reviews this every week to look at uh, what is happening in other countries, what are their experience. The most important thing is if people stay alert and we continue to bear down on the virus, then we'll be able to do more for restaurants, for theatres in my constituency, uh, with the Royal Shakespeare Company and other indoor uh, premises like pubs to be able to go back to a, a, as normal a trading condition as we can make it. Okay, just finally, and I know you've not got much time, uh, uh, Mr. Zawari, but just in terms of these uh, protests we've seen over the recent days in the wake of George Floyd's uh, death by the uh, hands of a police officer, but as Commission for Diversity in the Public Realm set up by London Mayor Sadiq Khan, the removal of these statues, um, do you think that the removal of any statue is going to improve any young black or, uh, woman or man's life in this country? And uh, do you think it's time that politicians took a stand mm -hmm. against this? 
Well, so, listen, I come from uh, a background of Kurdish immigrants to this country. My parents fled a country where there was no democracy, there was no um, a freedom uh, or opportunity to a country that has freedom and opportunity, and in fact has a colonial legacy in Iraq uh, uh, that actually left some really great things. Gertrude Bell did incredible things for Iraq, including introducing a civil service, sadly much of it lost by, by Saddam Hussein. Um, I would much rather focus on real um, uh, uh, equality of opportunity for black, Asians, ethnic minority, the um, race disparity team at number 10. Uh, this government was the first government to have a race disparity audit, our civil service, and I paid real tribute to Jonathan Slater at the Department of Education, the perm secretary there, who, when I was there, identified that we need more people in leadership positions in the civil service, in our institutions, which will make a huge difference. We live in a democracy. We're right to have a debate. If there's a mayor who wants to focus just on statues, and statues are important because they're symbols, we need to learn about our history, warts and all, then people will vote for him. But if people want to vote for a mayor that will deliver real equality of opportunity, then, then people vote for Sean Bailey. Uh, that is the right way to do it. You don't do it by thuggery and violence and breaking the law. That is not what we're about. That is not how this country operates. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. 
Talk Radio. Rather more important issues for most people than a statue they may possibly have walked by but not perhaps even known who it was. And that's whether or not they can get back to work and whether or not they can get their kids back to school. For many, those two things are very much related. Very difficult to go back to work if your job's been furloughed. It's also very difficult to go back to work if your biz boss says, please come back, but you've got young children at home, not back in primary school or early years of secondary school. Well, let's talk about all of that now with Jeff Barton. He's General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders and joins us. Good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning to you, Jeff. I don't know if you can hear me or other people can hear you, the vagaries of working from home. Can Good Jeff morning, Bond? Julia. You sorry, can. sorry, I automatically muted, so I apologise for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nothing personal, my, you understand. My, oh, no, my, my husband wants me to have a mute button. Don't worry. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on. It does appear that the Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, in his statement to the Commons yesterday, he appears to have almost given up on trying to get all primary school children back before the summer holidays, uh, but also given up on the prospect of all secondary school pupils going back in September. That was the plan. Um, why isn't it happening? Why is it so likely that we're going to see nine million children missing, to all intents and purposes, six months of school? What's, what's happened and what's gone wrong? Well, Julia, you're going to hear me say a sentence you, you won't have heard before. And you, you, if you remember, I'm a trade union leader of 20,000 head teachers and deputies. I think that we have higher ambitions of the nation's young people than the government does, because what we heard four weeks ago from the Prime Minister was an announcement that every child in primary is going to have their four weeks at the same time in primary school. And then the guidance came out that night, which essentially completely cut adrift that lofty ambition and bit of rhetoric by saying that you couldn't have class sizes bigger than 15 and you couldn't use rotors. Now, as soon as you start saying you can only have 15 children in a class which would have been 30, unless you can have a rotor and bring some children in, let's say, one week and others the other week, how on earth were you going to be able to fulfil that ambition. And it frustrates me that we have been saying there are different ways of doing this. Because if I was a, if I was a parent with a child in year six and a child in year four, I would be saying, hang on a minute, why, why should my year six have 22 hours in school and my year four have nothing at all till September? So whether it's from the kind of equity point of view or whether it's from the logistical point of view, here was an overpromise which has now crumbled and we need a plan in place. And I suspect It'll be down to school leaders to put a plan in place in the absence of vision from the Department of Education and the government. Because a lot of this has been blamed on teaching unions, not head teachers unions, but teaching unions, uh, some of the, the more left wing unions than, than yours, basically sort of trying to stop children going back to school. Some lots of councils and largely Labour councils saying it's just simply not safe, refusing sometimes even to engage. But an awful lot of people saying it's out, it's down to, as you say, the 15 children, the two metre rule. I didn't know about the rotor system rule, but I do know, having spoken to some of the uh, uh, trustees of various different academy chains, that some of the, the, the list of extraordinarily long list, I think f- 500 plus different checkpoints that had had you know checklists that had to actually be uh, carried out by schools before children were allowed to come back uh, at the beginning of June that the, the schools have made a very big ask of teachers um do you think it is the case though that where there's a will there is a way and the schools that want to make it happen those head teachers and teachers have made it happen and the schools where they don't want to make it happen for whatever reason haven't and a lot of this is just down to people who are willing to have a can-do attitude and people who want to look for excuses, frankly, not to go back to work? Well, I think in the absence now of a very clear plan and a demonstration that that plan was never going to be able to work, what I'm hearing from, particularly from primary heads today, is right, well, we are going to show that we, we, we don't care whether a child is in reception or year one, if they're in year two or year three, we're going to do what Wales has done. Essentially, Wales' approach was, 
How do we get every child in Wales to have some experience before the summer, meeting their teacher, back in school with the routines? And you can't have all of them in at the same time for the reasons we've talked about, but we think every child should have some experience. And I'm hearing from primary heads, let's explore how we do that. And you, you make a point about the teacher unions. You know, trade unionism has a proud tradition of protecting its members, and I think quite rightly they were saying, show us the evidence it is safe to work in schools. I think but they've been shown largely, the evidence. I think that's largely evaporated. What I'm hearing from my members is that actually teachers want to now get back where they belong, which is into the classroom. Secondary is a bigger problem because the government's guidelines said 25% maximum of children only in year 10 and year 12, and that's to do with community transmission. So there's a bigger issue there. But I think today is the day that leaders will roll up their sleeves and say, we will no longer rely on the government to tell us what to do. We will do what is right for the nation's young people because it's shameful the way we seem to be turning our backs on, on, on those young people who deserve better. I mean, try and explain to some people who are listening who might be saying, oh, you know, it's just a few weeks off, it's not an issue. But children are effectively going to be missing six months of schooling. Um, and, and given that a lot of children in, this, in the most disadvantaged uh, children from different disadvantaged homes and at some of the weaker schools, they're already at least two years behind a lot of the people they're going to be competing with uh, in, in the, the wider world when, when it comes to getting jobs. How, how damaging is missing, if, to all intents and purposes, if getting a worksheet on a Monday morning from a teacher ain't, ain't, ain't a week schooling? Uh, how, how damaging is losing six months of school at this time? It's hugely damaging, and that, that should have been the starting point for, for the government because we know that there are hundreds of thousands of children who, who unlike your children and my children, if they were still at home, are, who were in a home where there are books, there's conversations, there's access to the internet and other stuff which will help them deal with this. There are hundreds of thousands who will be in pretty appalling circumstances. And, you know, the Education Endowment Foundation, a well-trusted think tank on education, has said that any gains we have made over the past 10 years in narrowing the gap have now been lost in the last six weeks. We cannot preside over that. We have to have a higher ambition than has been demonstrated. And it means that those vulnerable, disadvantaged children need to be top of the list, irrespective of what year group they happen to be in. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's been a lot of focus on, well, reception really matters in year six and uh, GCSE pupils and A-level pupils, but every single year does matter. This is why we find parents who take their children out for a week at Disneyland, because every day and every week of school that's missed makes a difference. And we, we needed to b build public confidence. We knew that actually part of this issue was parents wanting to hear that it was safe to send their children into school. But l largely that argument, I think, has disappeared. This was the very time when there was an opportunity, I think, for the government to say, right, let's work with the trade unions and let's work with parent teachers and governors and say, what would it take for every child to have some experience back into school? Because what that will then do is to make it much easier when we get to September to have some kind of business as usual, because we will have assessed what the child does know and doesn't know and have planned out their learning for September and, frankly, given them some work to do over the summer in order that we've started that process of making sure that the gap between the advantage and disadvantage at least starts to narrow a little bit. And this is a key point, like I keep saying on it, I'm sorry if I'm boring my, list, my, my regular listener here, but, you know, my daughter's sitting in lessons right now online. She's not missed a day of school. Um, and and, and you're lucky her, she's at a good school. She's at a private school. But, I mean, there are plenty of good state schools doing it, but there are lots of kids who are missing out far more. Um, in, in terms of the disadvantaged children, I mean, not even most of them haven't even got a availability of a laptop or an iPad, even though the government promised to start doing that straight away, uh, and, and, and would desperately benefit from summer school. Um, what is the likelihood that we can get teachers to work through the summer to make sure that the children who really missed out do get the education they need? 
Uh, well, the Secretary of State has ruled that out as an idea, so that, that, that won't happen. Now, I don't think that's to say that things won't happen over the summer. I think that, you know, the Children's Commissioner has already saw, uh, said, and Robert Halfen, Chair of the Education Select Committee, has said, why can't we use the school estates for something to be happening there, whether it's sporting activities, for example, things which are going to start to re-socialise children. I think all of that will happen. But ultimately, what I would say is we could do something before that, we could have every child have some reconnection with a trusted adult in school who knows them to assess them and to plan their learning. We could be starting that tomorrow. And I suspect that in the absence of a plan from government, you know, scripture tells us without vision, the people will perish. The vision is now going to have to come from the sector itself, from school leaders. And that's what I'm hearing this morning. Absolutely. And again, the Oxford and Cambridge scientists pointing out that rational debates what's needed. Children have a higher risk of getting struck by lightning than dying of coronavirus. Let's get our kids back in the classroom. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Let's uh, talk about the latest Office for National Statistics figures that came out yesterday uh, showing the number of deaths we've had uh, to the end of May. Uh, Neil Dixon is Chief Executive of the NHS Confederation. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Well, these figures, so they're always rather complicated because there's England, there's England and Wales, there's the UK, excess deaths, coronavirus, etc., etc. But uh, taking it all out and looking overall, we're looking at uh, 50,000 deaths from coronavirus in total now and 14,000 other excess deaths unaccounted for, but which have taken place above the five-year seasonal average. Huge numbers of those in care homes. Um, now looks like on the figures we've got right now, as much as we can make international comparisons, the UK has the highest deaths per million population in the Western world. Um, how concerned are you about how we have handled as a country this epidemic? Well, I think it's a mixed picture, to be honest. I mean, in one sense, we were told right at the start that the NHS would fall over, wouldn't manage to meet the number of cases, that we didn't have enough intensive care beds, we didn't have enough staff, and the system was already under huge pressure. And I think the health service has managed to adapt extraordinarily well and has shown its ability to flex and provide what was in effect a completely different kind of service and they've done extraordinarily well under very difficult circumstances in running a, a COVID service alongside a much more limited non-COVID service. But the consequences uh, even of that of course uh, on, on people's health is, is very significant for the work that the NHS and, and other services have not managed to do during that time. I think the questions, uh, the overall questions, I know government ministers say this all the time, well we'll look at that when when it happens and international comparisons are difficult and and so forth and uh, you know I'm, I'm in one sense happy to go on with that and let's look at the uh, the position going forward rather than uh, turn our heads backwards all the time but the obvious questions will be uh, how quickly did we go into lockdown how 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 good was it, were our stockpiles of protective equipment, how good were our distribution methods and how prepared were we in relation to testing. So we know all the questions. We know that there have been difficulties in all those areas. That's absolutely acknowledged. Um, I suppose I would say it would be better if an inquiry helped us to really learn where we were going rather than necessarily dish out dish out blame which is what uh, uh, certain parts of society always want to do and let's let's, we, let's learn the lessons for next time because realistically they will be a next time there, won't be. there could be a next time next year i mean people talk about it as a once in a hundred year thing but it's a once in a hundred years can happen two years running so there's no there's no doubt that we yeah. we face the risk of another pandemic and it could be 
a more vicious one than this. So we, we absolutely need to do that. We've got other concerns as well, not just the deaths from the coronavirus, particularly issues in care homes and, and obviously in hospitals, but also NHS waiting lists for all other treatments, we, we, whether it's you know, routine operations like hip operations or, uh, or, or the uh, 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 people needing cancer treatment. Uh, waiting lists could hit 10 million this year. We already had uh, a long waiting list. Um, how, how quickly do you think that we can actually um, overcome those long waiting lists? How, how many years is it going to take? I don't know the exact answer to how long it'll take. And, and remember, as you say, we already had unacceptable waiting lists of uh, 4 million plus even before the start of this. I think our plea at the moment is, uh, first of all, to politicians not to raise expectations. Secondly, to do a deal with the private sector. I know there have been talks going on in relation to this, but we need all the capacity we can get. We don't need ideology or anything else. We need to use whatever capacity we can get to try and get people treated. And the vast majority of patients, frankly, don't care whether they're treated in an NHS facility or a private facility, as long as the quality of care is right. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.